welcome back to the Dunker Punks podcast. I'm your host, M. Gresh, and my pronouns are she, her. Today, we will be hearing from Josiah Ludwig. Josiah is co-pastor at Harrisburg First Church of the Brethren in the Atlantic Northeast District. With decades spent working alongside those living in an underserved urban community, as well as in East Africa, Josiah is passionate about racial justice, equality, and shalom for all of humanity. In his interview, Josiah explores the ways in which we, as Christians, can live into our call to be more Christ-like in a world where Christian has become synonymous with Christian nationalism. Hey, Dunker Punks. Josiah Ludwig here from Harrisburg another podcast around racial justice and social justice. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had in recent months with folks who, you know, have done some reading or been moved to be about creating change in their spheres and just wondering what what should I what should I do? How there's something rumbling here and I, I need to take action of some kind. So what I thought would be helpful would be to highlight some of what some of the other dunker punks around the country are up to as different things come to their consciousness and what they've been moved to do. Christian nationalism is an ideology that is not new to our country. It's been around probably as long as people have inhabited this land. But in recent months, it's been talked about a whole lot more and more openly than I think ever before. Just about anybody who has any sense of awareness of the goings-on in our country knows about January 6th and some of the things that created a space whereby people felt compelled, even anointed by God, to invade our nation's capital. This relationship between love of God and love of country gets messy, to say the least. And we as believers are left to make sense of this relationship. E-Town Church of the Brethren felt led to make a very public statement to tell the truth about Christian nationalism and the insidious nature of this ideology. I'm joined today by Jason Haldeman, who talks to us about his churches, his faith community's desire to say something in the midst of this political turmoil that we find ourselves in today. Please join us as we consider the question, at this time, in this place, in this country, so enwrapped in white supremacy and Christian nationalism, what part do I play? What is mine to do? So I'm happy to be joined today by Jason Haldeman, the Minister of Faith Formation at E-Town Church of the Brethren. Jason, thanks a lot for hanging out today. Of course. Glad so I uh, thought probably the best place to start a conversation would be just by centering us with the statement that your church put in the paper and has on its website and, and all of that. So would you mind reading some of it for us or all of it? Sure. I'll start at the beginning. Uh, there are two quotes um, that there was some conversation about where to include these. I think these were initially uh, included at the end, but I think to grab people's attention and to kind of summarize what some of the statement was about, the decision was made to move them up to the top so that even if someone just read like the first quote, they'd kind of know 
on what the statement was all about and decide if they wanted to continue reading or not. But so the, the statement itself is called The Perils of Christian Nationalism. And the first quote by Bishop Darren Moore is, our Christian faith is too expansive to be defined by any national identity, even a nation as beloved as America. And our embrace of American values of equality and inclusion are too profound to privilege any religion, even one as beloved as Christianity. Um, so right off the bat here, we can see that this is really talking about these two different pieces of Christianity and kind of patriotism and nationalism um, and how those things will intersect with one another. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the next quote was, Christian nationalism is the single biggest threat to religious freedom in America, which is kind of a bold statement to make. Uh, that's Amanda Tyler, who's the executive director of Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Freedom. I'm going to go ahead and read some of these other parts of the statement. Uh, yeah, sure. This first heading is America's Promise, Freedom of Religion. The founders ensured our freedom of religion in the First Amendment of the Constitution. They declared that our government cannot establish a religion and that every religion can be freely exercised. The First Amendment says that all religions are equal. The government has no favorites, regardless of where people worship in a cathedral, mosque, synagogue, church, or temple. All religions enjoy the same status and protection in the eyes of the government. And the next section kind of defines Christian nationalism. It says Christian, national, Christian nationalism is a movement whose followers advocate a particular brand of Christianity, which they believe is superior to other religions. So key beliefs of Christian nationalists. America is God's chosen nation. America was established as a Christian nation. Christianity is woven into the fabric of America. Governments should make laws to keep America Christian. Christianity should be privileged above other religions. Christian symbols should be dominant in public spaces. A small minority of Christians, mostly white, hold these beliefs. Some of them decry the waning influence of their views of Christianity in American life, and what they see as the increasing persecution of Christians, and some fear being outnumbered by non-white people. Christian nationalism gives extremist groups a license for bigotry and violence. Some politicians exploit its sentiments for political gain, and for others, it is a strong, heartfelt conviction. Transforming and fighting. Christian nationalists want to transform society by infusing their values and policies into all levels of government. This vision energizes some politicians who believe that they are called, even anointed by God, to promote Christian nationalism. They say that the separation of church and state is an old myth. In their mind, church and state blend together. Christian nationalists have a crusading mentality, believing that God is by their side, they feel empowered to fight a cosmic battle between good and evil. The sense of Christian superiority may incite some to use violence in the name of God. Christian nationalism threatens religious freedom by eroding the principle of the separation of church and state, defying the First Amendment, Establishment, and Free Exercise Clauses, 
treating non-Christian religions and their members as second class, restricting the rights of non-Christian religions, threatening to impose Christian nationalist policies on all U.S. citizens, overturning America's promise of religious pluralism, justice, and equality. And this section is called Witch Jesus. Christian nationalists prize power, domination, and exclusion. Their American-made Jesus is militant, hard-nosed, and domineering. He's a Jesus who carries a sword and attacks his foes. This movement distorts the biblical Jesus and flips the core values of Christian faith upside down. Amen. The Jesus of the Gospels rejected nationalism. He refused to retaliate when beaten and nailed to a cross. He preached love for enemies. He blessed peacemakers and urged his followers to love their neighbors as well as themselves. He emphatically replaced domination with service to others. Jesus invited everyone to the table. Jews and non-Jews, prostitutes and tax collectors, outcasts and religious leaders. All are welcome. Jesus established a global kingdom that goes beyond national boundaries. The God of Jesus has no favorite nation. His sun shines on the evil and the good. His rain falls on the just and unjust. So to whom do we pledge our allegiance? To the Jesus of Christian nationalism or the Jesus of the Gospels? Hmm. And the last part is protecting America's promise. The cost of silence compels us to speak. We deplore Christian nationalism. Our understanding of Jesus calls us to stand strong for the country we love and for the faith that we cherish. We applaud America's promise to protect religious freedom so that every faith is treated with dignity and equality. Amen. So that's the statement. Hmm. And, you know, at the end there, there's a little bit of light that kind of gets shine on why we had made this statement. Um, and I know, Josiah, as we had talked about this, that's part of the question is how did this come about? And right. the first line of that last section that says, the cost of silence compels us to speak out. We deplore Christian nationalism. And I think that was kind of a, a motivating piece. Our congregation has, over time, since I've been here, we've done it already, but uh, this congregation has a history of putting out statements in the in the paper. And part of that, I think, comes from a desire to want to be understood and to to feel like we're standing in a place and saying things that are meaningful and a place that we can take a stand, um, something that resonates with us as a community of faith. And oftentimes the need to, it feels like the need to make a statement is because we don't see that being reflected in the general culture. And in some cases within within Christianity. Uh, so that, that, that's part of the reason for, for making this statement. And also as an opportunity for education, this term has gotten, was thrown around quite a bit last year um, mm -hmm. in this state, particularly because of Mastriano, who was running for governor, who was kind of given that label and to some degree owned it and wore it. And part of the challenge here with, with this was, what are we even talking about when we say Christian nationalism? So right. So one of the, the reasons that this statement was put out there really was somewhat educational. Let's all agree on the terms that we're talking about. 
Right. And and um, one of the things I think that's worth noting is that we were pretty intentional when it says key beliefs of Christian nationalists, that um, we were kind of thinking that, and I remember having this conversation with someone that we would want someone who is a Christian nationalist, who would own that identity, to be able to look at these definitions and be nodding their head like, yep, yep, that's us. Because we didn't want to put out a statement that was, you know, so inflammatory that individuals who would claim that wouldn't feel like would feel like it's a caricature and and not really that's not really what we believe so we tried to be as plain as simple that saying okay let's agree on uh, definitions here yeah and so while one person might read this list and you know as i do and and kind of scoff at how ridiculous these things sound um someone else who claims to be a christian nationalist would read these bullet points and be nodding along being like yeah America is God's chosen nation. Yeah, America was established as a Christian nation. Yeah, governments should make laws to keep America Christian. Um, so we didn't want to debate about what that actually meant. Yeah, yeah. I, I like how plain you guys sort of made that because it to make any statement at all, it is important for us to know, like, what are we talking about, right? So was there something other than the fact that you know, we had a gubernatorial candidate who named themselves or owned that title. Was there something in particular for you all as E-Town Church of the Brethren that made this like very important to the point where it's like, you know what, we we can't just sit here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to do or say something. Yeah. And then that eventually led to to this, you know, statement being public. Yeah, I think oftentimes there's this question of like, what is mine to do, right? Like, what what can we do about something? Um, and like I said, this congregation has a history of doing things like this. Um, this feels to be a, like something that's comfortable. It's a, as a congregation that's located close to E-Town College, there's a number of people who are involved with the church that we have a number of retired ministers, a number of people who are academics from the college. And so there, there's this desire to kind of think about what this actually means and like i said these terms are getting thrown around quite a bit and it's not surprising to anyone that last year um, as a midterm election year this gets even more heightened and we didn't really have a desire to to play in a political space but that's what's swirling around and it really feels like compelled to speak into that dialogue some of this was inspired by a professor from Lancaster Theological Seminary had given this speech on the dangers of Christian nationalism. And so that had inspired some folks to continue those conversations in talking about what does this really mean? And uh, locally, we're somewhat of a black sheep in Elizabethtown. We're a unique uh, congregation that's open and affirming. And that is not the case with almost every other church that's here. And there were some issues that have come out locally in our town with the school board and and just some movements that people have identified as being Christian. So much so, and I think this is this is an important piece that that the identity of Christianity gets lumped in and tied to these things. And for people in our congregation, it's somewhat embarrassing at times. I know for me personally, I always want to hedge when I say, that I'm a pastor or that I work for a church, that there's this kind of need 
in me that's kind of like but 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 <laughs> you know, <laughs> my church isn't like that a little bit more about what that means uh for me but i think there's <laughs> there is this general sense that exists within the congregation too about hey we we are firmly standing on scripture and on jesus and wanting to be disciples and wanting to be faithful to our our calling as christians and for us that looks differently than what we're seeing people saying it means so there, there's almost a, a a defensive posture to this when you exist in kind of we're a small town but rural south central pa you know it's it's very politically conservative very the christianity is is brand is much more conservative and i think part of the desire to put a statement like this is to kind of say you know this is who we are like we claim jesus you know we claim to be faithful followers of scripture and of god and that might look differently for us than it does for other people and it was very clear to us when that statement went out that that resonated with folks that there are a number of people out there who feel called to be followers of Jesus, but are embarrassed by the way that that has manifested itself for so many people, especially in politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to to be a voice for some of them that don't, you know, have that that maybe support to to say sort of what was just plainly said here. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know what your experience has been, Josiah, but I know for me personally, my spiritual journey and faith, it's been so important for there to be those prophetic voices for me to to kind of create space and to be like, it's so good to hear someone else say that because I've been thinking that, right. <laughs> you know, and I'm looking around feeling like I'm the crazy one here. Right. Um, and it, that it's just so helpful to have that put out there. And that was that was we got such positive feedback. From people I think that were almost exhausted by the politics and by this kind of small American style Christianity that just wasn't that feels fake, that just feels manipulated, yeah. uh, that doesn't feel authentic to the creator of the universe. Right. Um, you know? Uh, and so I I I I sensed when we put that out there that there was a lot of positive feedback. And I interpreted that as people just being exhausted and saying, thank you for saying this. Like right. finally someone is saying what I, what, what, what I believe and what I see in scripture and, and my understanding of Jesus, uh, there's kind of this relief to it. Right. Um, so that, I think that was helpful and important to folks. Yeah. That's beautiful. So uh, part of the reason I wanted to have this conversation is because I think that there's a lot of faith communities um, that I've spoken to even just myself that have, you know, either read a book or like they've learned something or they're, they're just, there's something going on. Right. And it's like, we, we just, what do we do with this now? You know? And so I wonder if you could just like, tell us a little bit, you, you mentioned how there was a, you know, a talk that some of the, the members went to, and then that sparked some conversation. So from that moment to then like, how how long was it before this statement is crafted and is put in the paper? Like, what is what is happening, you know, in yeah. in the faith community, like that leads to this finally? Like, we've seen the end product, but right. like, yeah, what what's the sort of steps that happen in there? Yeah, and to be honest, it's kind of a blur because, uh, yeah. like so many things, we're like post COVID time now. Everything feels so sure. weird. 
So this would have been last summer that these conversations were kind of starting to happen. And we pretty intentionally then had a adult faith formation class, a kind of a four-week class. And those conversations are available on YouTube. Don Crable, who is um, you know a, a well-known scholar and writer, and he used to work here at the the Young Center on the corner of the, the campus here at the Anabaptist Center. And um, he kind of spearheaded the, the writing of this statement. And then there were a number of drafts and just conversations that took place with folks. Um, so the, the inspiration behind this, I think, was this kind of bubbling up of feeling like we're hearing this message about Christianity in, in politics, particularly over that summer and that fall. And we need to we need to you know set the record straight about where we stand on this. Yeah. Um, and so that that was kind of the impetus for that. And again, the Sunday school class met, and then after we felt like the statement got to where it needed to be, um, that felt good about it. There was also this partnership with Lancaster Inner Church Peace Witness, who had a, sponsored that original presentation. So we knew that there was interest there from other congregations. Mm-hmm. But we were in a unique posi- p- position to have the the ability to craft that statement, but ultimately to financially back it, which was a huge piece. We weren't asking you know other churches to get behind the statement financially because we didn't want to open up the statement to revisions and you know how right. that goes. And well, can we change this word to that word and that kind right. of thing? So. Um, when we we had the statement kind of in its final form, we brought it before the congregation, and there was a overwhelming support, unanimous support for the statement. The only real pushback that we faced as a congregation was was kind of a question about counting the cost, which was, do we really want to do this? Like, yeah. do we really want to put ourselves out there, um, yeah. knowing that we're being critical of a a group that is known for acting violently and uh, you know, there there was some real concern about, you know, do we do we want to bring this target to ourselves? Um, yeah. Do we want to poke the bear? Not and, to mention the not yeah. to mention the systems at play. You know, yeah, <laughs> that that are all a part of you know th- that which could come against you. You know, yeah, yeah, and um, that so that was that was the biggest the biggest concern. It wasn't like do we believe this? You know, right. do we support this statement? The question was. Uh, are we going to just realize people, if we do this, uh, there could be some consequences to it. And fortunately, yeah. they were not. Fortunately, I was going to say, and the neat thing is, you, as you shared, like it was like resounding, almost support, like yeah. from most people. Yeah, I'll say, I will say, um, surprisingly, yeah. not, I wasn't surprised at the support. I was maybe surprised at how um, unbalanced it was. Right. Uh, you know, it was overwhelmingly supportive. There was very few um, critiques that we got uh, from that. In fact, um, we had we had done this before with an anti-racism statement, and when we had put out that statement, we got more pushback uh, than we did when we put this out. Which, to be honest, surprised me. I was surprised yeah. at that. Yeah. Well, I guess that kind of takes me to one of the questions I was going to get to later. But um, I, as you read the statement, well, first of all, as you read the statement toward the end. Um, there, I think the, the phrase is something about upside down and mm-hmm. that made me wonder, did, was Donald Crable? Very Donald Crable, right? <laughs> yeah. Cause, 
Um, for those of you listening, you might know the book, uh, The Upside Down Kingdom, which if you don't, you should definitely read it. There's a second edition recently that uh, Dr. Drew Hart wrote the foreword for it. It's it's a fantastic uh, book about like what Jesus' time on earth really was about, which is like turning everything upside down as, as we know it. Um, but then the second thing was I noticed like towards the middle, whiteness is named in there. And I just wondered sort of, was there like an active decision around not just naming it white Christian nationalism the whole way through? I think you you referred to you, not you, but you collectively, <laughs> the royal you, um, referred to, you know, n- not being a, a faith of domination, um, things like that, but don't specifically name like white supremacy either. So I was wondering, was there a yeah, was there a reason why that decision was made or was it ju- this is just how the statement kind of came out or sure i think my i think it's worth noting that there was a good amount of conversation in the sunday school class that uh does name the fact that there's that racism is found throughout this idea of of Christian nationalism. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the reason that we didn't call it white Christian nationalism probably just stems from the origin of um, how we approached the term when we fir- first heard about it, which I think was named in that that uh, Greg Carey speech with the Lancaster Theological Seminary. And also, I know there's a, there was an online movement that was Christians against Christian nationalism, mm-hmm. and I think some of the initial um, information kind of came from there. So I think that's probably where the terminology solidified. But there's no doubt that this is certainly um, the, the the overlap between white Christian nationalism and whatever you would call Christian nationalism, if it's a Venn diagram, is looking pretty circular. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> I, that's a fair that's a, a fair question um from a from a pragmatic point of view though i don't know that this was necessarily part of it but i have to think that we had said earlier too that one of the the points of this was to educate folks and to try to get a foot in the door thinking that you know we really didn't want this statement to be too inflammatory or partisan so that uh, the hope was that there would be someone out there reading this and they would call themselves a Christian, they would call themselves a proud American, and they might even agree with some of those bullet points that we had listed under Christian nationalism. But the hope would be that as they read this, they kind of saw the dissonance mm. um, that that if I'm truly a follower of Jesus, what does that mean? Mm. So, you know, as an educational piece, I want I think there was value in this trying to be persuasive. And I wonder if, you know, if if naming it as as white Christian nationalism might detract from some people falling into that category because there might be people who'd say I'm a Christian nationalist but would bristle at being called a white Christian nationalist mm. um and so maybe that's just a pragmatic point of view um, it's also possible as you're speaking that you know you, you had mentioned about like the quotes at the beginning trying to draw people in the bullet points as like yeah I, I agree with that yeah I agree with that and if you if that word's at the top mm-hmm. and it's like, maybe nobody even, maybe they're so knocked back on their heels by the thought of it. They don't even read further. So it's right. possible that that, that yeah. that was a good decision. Well, um, I don't, I don't know that that, that conversation took place. I know we have a, a racial justice working group here at the church and I know they were really involved in the, in this process as well. 
and maybe even pushed for some of that language that is in it to be in there because there's always more work to do um, Definitely. in these kind of things. But I right? do, I will say, I appreciate that it's in there at all. Yeah. Um, there, I've had some uh, critique around our denomination as a whole and some of the mm -hmm. statements we've made, uh, particularly, I don't know if you recall, but um, around the January 6th incident, uh, we had a statement and it talked mm -hmm. that, you know, spoke against violence and spoke against this and that and never named like the source of it, never named Christian nationalism mm -hmm. at all, never named mm -hmm. white supremacy or any of that sort of thing. And just for me, it's like, well, why say anything if if you're not going to like really stand against like the evil that we're witnessing? Why say anything? So I, I did appreciate that it that that piece was, you know, alluded to. It's not, uh, the question was more just wondering, yeah, what, what decision-making went into like where that was placed and, and that sort of thing. So I do appreciate very much that, that it was there at all. Something I'm wondering about. So this is a piece that I know. So I'll, I'll ask the question knowing the answer. <laughs> um, but uh, so you guys were having these conversations. The, the thing is crafted. Finally, it's time. We've raised the money gets in the paper tell tell the listeners a little about like what was happening in your area when this comes into oh, right. in the paper yeah. like yeah so, that, that god thing you know yeah the, well, one of those things that's kind of like you know maybe you don't know this but when when you go to put like an ad in the paper it's 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 not like you call up that week and you're like we're gonna do this you know so there have been conversations actually with lnp the lancaster newspaper for maybe even two months before, like, and we had picked a date and it was important to us that it was happening soon. Um, and we wanted it to happen in the kind of the realm of this conversation that's happening politically. And so we had selected a date uh, that it was going to be released. Then I think that date had to change because there was a different thing. But interestingly, the Sunday that it came out, that Friday, before, I think it was a Friday, Saturday, maybe it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I don't know. But there was this huge gathering at the Spooky Nook Sports Center, which is right down the road from us. And it, it was, I, uh, I'm i glad I don't remember what it's called. It's yeah. not taking up any space in my brain, but it was basically this just big like political rally. And it was, it was all these um, Trump characters and uh, Christian nationalists, people. And and I tuned in for a little bit just to watch, and and it was literally people claiming that title, like they say we're Christian nationalists. Well, I love Jesus and I love America, so yeah, you can call me a Christian. Like there was no, there was no pushback on. Like they were right. owning that identity, right. and it was a big deal. There were thousands of people there, and so you know, for me, it's one thing to think about this in the abstract and be, and kind of be disappointed that there are people out there who believe this, you know, and to to read that vitriol on like, you know, the internet or on social media, you're kind of like roll your eyes and like, oh yeah, whatever, those people exist. But it's a completely different thing to realize they're your neighbors. Mm -hmm. um, and that and how insidious this movement has become because not all my neighbors are bad people, you know? <laughs> And like it, what's what's frustrating is is this idea that like good salt of the earth people who will spend time, you know, donating to the food bank, who will spend time praying, who will spend time um, doing all of these good, you know, objectively good things, his sweet old lady grandma or whatever, will then turn around and claim to be a Christian nationalist. 
Mm. Um, and there's just this dissonance there that is confusing and frustrating that I personally have experienced throughout this whole kind of Trumpian uh, era that we've lived in. And this unholy alliance between what I see as this most beautiful, loving, incredible understanding of our faith. And then it just gets heaped in with the most disgusting and vile treatment of other people. Yeah. Um, and, and I just, it's been, it's been the, it has been the most confusing thing I've ever experienced um, these last five years, just politically, just kind of just not making sense. Like it just does not make sense to me. Um, and I have to remember that, um, you know, something like Christian nationalism for me, it doesn't make sense because I, you know, I, I've grown up with within the Church of the Brethren and, you know, to some degree have absorbed this idea of, you know, wanting to be followers of Jesus, but not being wed to the state. And yet I know that for a number of people, like God and country is kind of just like front and center and there's no separating those things. And so the idea of being critical of Christian nationalism is just doesn't make any sense. Uh, but for someone like me, the idea of Christian nationalism doesn't make any sense. Um, right. And so it's important to just kind of get these terms out there um, and to have these conversations. Yeah, I think something that's really important to note as well is like the, the last several years sort of in some ways have uh, made this idea of Christian nationalism um, more sort of observable. And, you know, people aren't afraid to call themselves that, as you've mm -hmm. noted. But it's not like this ideology is is new, you right. know, <laughs> just a, a stupid pop culture example. Like, remember the Titans, the <laughs> the assistant coach is a deacon at the church and is clearly like a member of the KKK. And then that's a problem. Yeah. Right. Um, and so these things the you know the the idea that we're christians and also that that there can be a problem with us and in our ideology is is certainly not not a new thing mm -hmm. at all so um i do just really appreciate that y'all were were moved to say something and then that you did and and that the statement you made was again very succinct very level headed and direct yeah just i really did appreciate it a lot i wanted to ask you like since Okay, so it so God moves and and the timing of it is kind of perfect, right? Mm -hmm. This huge rally happens, and now like almost as if it was in direct response to what is happening around you. The statements in the paper, in general, you've gotten a lot of you know supportive feedback for the statement. As far as like at E Town Church of the Brethren, you know what what has sort of like the the aftermath of the statement been? Have there has has the statement moved to more study to any other action? Like what what is what has the aftermath sort of been um, in your local faith community? Yeah, well, I think the the statement was was unifying for us as a congregation. As I had mentioned, that it was unanimously supported, and we're not a small we're not a small church. We have probably about 150 to 200 people here every Sunday for worship, and. Um, and we also have a number of people who join us online. So there were what we found was there were some people who were really attracted to that idea. This fact that we were that the language of this statement really did resonate with some folks. And a number of people showed up to our church after that uh, because of that statement. Some to just check it out. Some to who were members of other churches but just wanted to show their support. Um, we had some people donate towards it 
from just from the community. But I think that one of the ways that it's impacted us as a congregation is just to to think about the realities of how holding up a Christian nationalist position actually has an impact in um, the world around us. So in our town, there there ended up being um, conversations about book bans around the school, and there were individuals who were on the school board who maybe they wouldn't claim the <laughs> the term Christian nationalist, but other people would would identify them as that. Might, yeah, label them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think it's it's made us a, a little bit more alert and aware to some of those real world impacts that are happening in our own community. I think that's definitely something that that has transpired from this. Hmm. Awesome. Well, Jason, thanks so much uh, for your time. Is is there any anything else you'd like to share around this topic? Those who are listening. What I would say is that this is such a dunker punk thing, you know, being a faithful follower of Jesus in the face of loud, violent movements that kind of suck all the air out of the room. But being faithful to Jesus is more important than the bombast and the the grandeur and, and the politics of it all. So, you know, at the end of the day, it was a great experience uh, to do this with our community because we could think about how we could be faithful and what did that look like in this moment, at this time, in this place, um, and something like just writing down how we felt and then um, taking the time to get it out there for other people to see uh, was it was an important thing. And we can do that in lots of different ways. You know, you <laughs> that's the thing. We don't we don't need to spend thousands of dollars and and have some sort of brilliant academic craft a statement for us. You know, this happens in conversations with family members, with friends. And so I would encourage us to think about the ways that we can combat uh, the things like Christian nationalism without actual combat you know, mm. through, through our relationships and being faithful to our calling. Amen. Well, thank you. And hopefully all of us can um, even ask ourselves that question, like, how can we be faithful right where we are right now? Um, appreciate your time, man. Yep. And, uh, oh, so and if you do want to see yeah. the statement, it is still on our webpage, etowncob.org. It's right on the front page. There's a button that says, I think, Christian nationalism statement. Perfect. And I think we'll put it in the show notes, too. Okay. Thanks a lot, Jason. Appreciate All right, it. You bet. Thanks, man. All right. Peace. our Jesus. Do we see Jesus as a conservative white man who is proud to be an American? Or do we see Jesus as a radical, preaching concepts that we still see as mind-blowing in the present day to people whose lives were so different from ours? In the interview, they discussed the need to make public statements because this cost of silence was too great. This idea is a very Brethren one. From the beginning, the Schwarzenau Brethren got started because they just couldn't keep their mouths shut. As Palm Sunday just passed, many of you probably heard the verses in Luke that proclaimed, If these were silent, the stones would cry out. When we feel the stirring of the Spirit to speak, it becomes increasingly difficult to stay silent. 
Roadblocks begin to pop up in other directions, and the cost of not speaking up grows greater until we cannot bear to allow the situation to continue. In Jesus' day, the oppressive circumstances were different, but ours are no less critical. When we speak up about a topic, we must be sure to treat those who would disagree with us fairly. This means taking our time to design responses that are faithful, while inviting those you disagree with to the table. Smear campaigns, in addition to being so far from what Jesus taught, instigate conflict rather than creating common ground and working towards the kingdom. Jesus was the biggest promoter of the upside-down kingdom, but those around him were on board, possibly because Jesus' upside-down kingdom was biblically supported. As Crable writes in his timeless work, John the Baptist announced Jesus by using words from the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Sounds familiar, right? When Jesus preached, he was practically begging for equality, for fair treatment for all. For the Jews that were his in-person audience, Jesus' words spoke of rescue from the Roman overlords, of having enough to eat, of being free to worship God without fear. For us, Jesus's words might seem like racial justice or creation care or economic redistribution. But if you're reading the words of Jesus and seeking encouragement to raise yourself up, I fear you are missing the point. When someone says something radical, we will probably find a positive response. I'm not the only one. I'm not crazy, after all. However, we cannot allow praise for speaking truth to cause us to speak power. Power is less than worthless in the upside-down kingdom. The kingdom of God usually refers to the dynamic reign of God, including purposes, authority, and power. It is sprawling like a field of quickly spreading wildflowers. It isn't a place, but the activities of God's reign. Not a kingdom in the traditional sense, but one that appears wherever there are people submitting to God. A literal kingdom is based on the authority of a monarch over a group of people. Citizenship is a social state of affairs. God's reign and policies are also a social state. We are citizens of the kingdom when we study Jesus' life and teachings, when we live according to those teachings. God's decrees were not embedded in proclamations by a town crier or a newspaper, but through the actions of Jesus. 
The kingdom of God blooms throughout Jesus' teachings. The Sermon on the Mount, which we often focus on here, describes kingdom life to a T. Everything we think we know about how society should be built is upside down and backwards. Our society's goals and values are so etched into our minds, but as kingdom citizens, we have to question everything. We can't assume that the status quo is right. In fact, we can usually assume that it isn't. The upside down kingdom is going to surprise you. When we give ourselves over to God's will, we end up following a topsy-turvy path that will inevitably shock those around us. That's the radical nature of Jesus's word. Jesus met people where they were and are. Jesus was willing to stand against injustice and corruption. Unfortunately, being a Christian doesn't necessarily make us Christ-like. In order to meet that criteria, we have to put being faithful above our fear of taking risks. Thank you so much for taking some time to listen to us today. The Dunker Punks podcast is a project that seeks to amplify the voices of youth and young adults in the Church of the Brethren. We work together to reimagine our faith through the lens of Jesus's ministry, raw, energized, and full of ideas about how we can reinvigorate our faith communities. This episode was created by M. Gresh, Josiah Ludwig, Ryan Dahmer, and Tyler North. Jacob Krauss creates our music, Suzanne Lay manages production and communications, Wichita First Church of the Brethren, Long Green Valley Church of the Brethren, Living Stream Church of the Brethren, Warrensburg Church of the Brethren, Beacon Heights Church of the Brethren, Arlington Church of the Brethren, and On Earth Peace sponsor the show. Join us next episode to hear Krista Craighead and Alex McBride interview Grace Mishler about ministers who are concluding a ministry and their hope for tomorrow. Be a part of the Dunker Punks podcast. If you will be attending annual conference, have we got an opportunity for you. We are seeking interviewers to participate in live recordings of annual conference leadership. Email dpp at arlingtoncob.org to join in or to recommend a youth or young adult. We are still working to find 20 congregational sponsors. Brick and mortar churches are all about faith formation. We are too. We focus on lifting up the voices of young people, and we would love your support. Email us at dpp at arlingtoncob.org to receive your very own informational packet about congregational sponsorships. We are currently hiring for a communications intern position. 
Current and recent secondary education students are eligible for the part-time, remote, paid position sponsored by Honor Peace. Work with the project team of Dunker Punks living across the country to help recruit new voices, get to know the young people who speak up on the show, and help them make connections with their message. Get experience in interpersonal communications, project production, social media content generation, fundraising, and graphic design. Get to immerse yourself in storytelling and spiritual discourse promoting reflection, action, service, social justice advocacy, and creation care. Get paid. Email us at dpp at arlingtoncob for more details, including a job description for our communications intern position. Is this episode meaningful to you? Get involved. Send in your comments or favorite show quotes to dpp at arlingtoncob.org. Engage with our posts on social media. We are at Pod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. Share, like, or comment on posts to support the show, or tag a friend to personally invite them to check out a favorite episode. This is M. Gresh, signing off.